so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. But Brent, before we move on, I just have to say something since you weren't here. A revelation that I made to Megan and Josh. Um, I have taken up watching The Web. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester and with me on the podcast today, as always, are my co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Hello, everybody. And he's back, Mr. Tennessee, Brent Leatherwood. That's right. I'm back. Should it be as always that we're here together since the last two weeks we we actually haven't been together yeah so if my world was this ideal world you know and the podcast was what everything it should be every single week you would both be here without fail and we would always get that culture rundown from you brent but in any case look guys brent's back it's a big day uh for a podcast in fact we are facing right now is we're recording this on thursday and we have huge and terrible storms rolling through tennessee and we know that that's happening in other parts of the country so if you hear any loud thunder or torrential downpours that's what's going on but so that we can get into the show Lindsay, and maybe before it just you know starts to thunder lightning and rain on us tell us what the erlc's been talking about this week well hello everybody from the land of sleeplessness that is my house right now with a little infant hopefully i can get through these things and put some coherent sentences together. So at ERLC.com this week, one of the articles that we have we thought was really important in light of the tragic shootings that have taken place this week, particularly um, the Atlanta one, as the shooter has been identified as having problems, sin struggles, addiction issues with sex. Um, we have resurrected an article from back in 2015, but made some um, updates to it. This is an article by Cody Barnhart, who is on staff at a church and used to be an intern with us. And it's titled Three Potential Long-Term Effects of Pornography Addiction. And as many of you know, pornography addiction is rampant in our society, but not just in our society, outside of the church. It's rampant on the inside of the church as well. It's often um, cloaked People don't often talk about it. It is um, shameful for many to talk about, uh, but it is crippling. And so we wanted to open your eyes to some of the effects that could be happening as a result of prolonged pornography addiction. And so Cody has written this article. It's very helpful. It's convicting. It doesn't tear down, but it builds up. But it's also a call, and he writes this particularly to men as a male, it's a call to fight vigilantly pornography in your own heart and life, lust in your own heart and, and life and mind, but also to fight the industry that preys on so many people. We asked Cody to go in and update this because we know that, especially in the week following the shootings we saw in 
Atlanta and the angle uh, that was related to uh, addiction and sexuality and in the role that pornography plays in corrupting, particularly men's minds. Uh, we wanted to put out some good resources on this this week, and Cody's article does a really good job of exposing both the dangers and the uh, necessity of men fighting back against uh, the temptations of pornography and exposing the dangers uh, that lie within it. That's right. And we want to go on record as saying it is never okay to injure other people or yourself because of your sin struggles or your addiction issues. Instead, it means to be uh, fighting vigilantly against your sin, seeking accountability, um, making some changes where you need to make changes. And again, we would encourage you to read this really, really important article. Next up, we have an article by Catherine Parks. And if I was to ask you, what do you think is the next frontier in the abortion debate? What do you think is the place that is really important for pro-life advocates to get involved um, and to be present and active? Well, Catherine has an article that says the abortion pill is the next frontier in the abortion debate. So it's pretty incredible. But whereas you used to have to go into a facility to get surgery for an abortion, now you can have an at-home abortion obtained via the abortion pill. And this pill and abortions via this pill have been on the rise, especially in the midst of COVID. This is just, it's tragic, but it's not without hope and it's not without opportunity for the pro-life community and particularly for pregnancy resource centers. So Catherine runs down and explains what is the abortion pill, um, and, and the different opportunities for pro-life advocates, how we can stand for the dignity of these men, women, and unborn babies. Well, it's always a privilege to read Catherine's uh, pieces, uh, particularly uh, when it comes to, to pro-life issues, because she's got such a, a great heart and wisdom on these issues. And, you know, I, I think the the way that you just laid things out, Lindsay, like this is just the natural result of the kind of throwaway culture that we live in right now, where things as as significant as human life are just so easily discarded. And I agree with you that uh, there is a lot of opportunity here. Uh, we We need to uh, be advocates uh, for the lives of those who are the most vulnerable. And uh, we need to tell people, hey, as we are thinking through the inherent dignity of everyone around us, we need to keep in mind those who don't have a voice. That is spot on, Brent. We have to be a voice for the voiceless. And particularly, that's what we're called to do as Christians. The final article that I want to highlight today is part of our interview series. We've had several of these on our site, and this one is by one of our interns, Andrew Bertadotti. This is an interview with Jeffrey Bilbro, who has written a book uh, called Reading the Times, A Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News. And so he tries to answer the question, what should we pay attention to in the news? What's the purpose? Why do we need a practical theology, how we consume it? Another really important question that he answers is, what's an example of, an, of a helpful practice that will help us set some of bad maladies tied to our news intake? And then how can Christians better practice discernment while consuming the news? So obviously, this is a really important interview. This is an important book. This is an important article for our times when we are inundated with the news uh, on a daily basis and oftentimes not really newsworthy news. So I would encourage you to check that out. 
As I always say, we have a ton of great resources on our site, free resources that will help educate and equip you to answer the pressing issues of our day. But for now, Brett and Josh, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And that brings us back to our long-awaited culture rundown. So Brent, tell us what's going on. All right, Josh. Well, yes, it is good to be back with the both of y'all. I am refreshed, rejuvenated, re-energized. You're getting you're getting the full Leatherwood experience, Lindsay and Josh. It's what we've been waiting for. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, two, speak two for yourself. I don't know animation. that we're ready for it. <laughs> Prepare yourselves accordingly, Lindsay. <clears throat> All right, so uh, there, there is. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say. Remember, you're coming back refreshed. <laughs> Don't you know the proverb that says something about one who sings loudly to a downcast heart is like a? I can't exactly remember it, but who's I just, downcast? <laughs> well, I would, I would amend it and say to a sleepless heart. <laughs> no, there you go. Well, that's true. Is <laughs> like nails on a chalkboard. That's my, uh, that's my version. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it was a week. Uh, there were several kind of uh, big stories, and so let's just uh, cover them. So you talked about earlier the the shooting in Atlanta, and unfortunately, uh, we had another uh, shooting that uh, that we are uh, waiting through all, getting still all the information about, and that occurred in Boulder. So Axios reports Colorado, which has endured some of America's most notorious mass shootings, now is the scene of the nation's second massacre in seven days. The killing of 10 people at the King Supers supermarket in Boulder, including the first police officer to arrive on the scene, Eric Talley, a father of seven, joins last week's rampage in Atlanta on an agonizing roster of inexplicable American tragedies. The Atlanta killings, which left eight dead, brought urgent new attention to the year-long wave of violence against Asian Americans, and the slaughter in Boulder renewed debate on gun control, which wasn't at the top of the agenda of the Democrats who control Washington. So there's been a lot of talk on on just that front this week uh, in terms of, you know, is it time to uh, either reform the filibuster in the U.S. Senate or get rid of it altogether to try and push through gun control legislation, and obviously uh, both of these communities now are dealing with the aftermath of uh, these tragedies. Well, and what is so tragic to me, in addition to just the loss of life and the, the senselessness of it, is how these have become so commonplace. And just when I heard of it, it just seemed like something that was normal. And immediately I was like, Lord, help me not to respond that way help me to remember to pray for these people and to just to be outraged by this and to be brokenhearted over it. It it just is tragic. And I know the answers are not easy to what to do about guns and gun control and, and people disagree and have different ideas, but it just is, it's just so tragic how quote unquote normal it has become. Yeah, Lindsay, I'd totally resonate with that last statement in particular. It feels normal and that feels terrible. I remember being in such real fear, uh, going all the way back to like the Columbine shooting when I was just a kid and being afraid that something like that would ever happen again. And now all of these years later, living in a society where it feels normal and al almost when you hear these, you hear news of another mass shooting, you feel numb instead of 
fear. You feel, uh, you, you want to be outraged and shocked, but it just feels so familiar. And so, uh, yeah, that's a lot of what my experience was like just over the last two weeks. And one of the things that, uh, several of the news reports pointed out and I, you know, I, I gotta tell you, I didn't even realize it for the last year. Uh, since we have gone through the season of isolation caused by COVID, the number of mass shootings dropped dramatically. And a couple of analysts were suggesting that maybe now as we are coming back out of isolation uh, with vaccines and, and whatnot being more readily available, uh, maybe this is is going to reemerge as just a consistent feature of, uh, American society. I, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, you know, we really have enough data to say that with any sort of certainty, but, uh, it's certainly alarming that within seven days, uh, just as we exited the period where flags were flown at half staff for Atlanta, they have to be flown at half staff again for Boulder. That's an interesting point too, Brent especially thinking of emerging out of the COVID isolation because of the mental health crisis that's been happening as well. So you just, you don't know how people have been affected, what their mental health is like and what that might look like as we emerge. We don't need to be afraid, but that is something to definitely consider as we've seen these happen within the last week. You know, and I would say that this is a, a good point to just remind our audience. Uh, our audience is a a praying audience, right? Uh, we, we need to be praying for our leaders consistently, uh, that they would have wisdom uh, to be able to create, forge some sort of consensus and, and solution here that is um, that is actually helpful. I, I don't know if one is in the offing or not, but we should continue to pray for our leaders that uh, that they would be able to to take helpful steps. All right. Going from one crisis uh, to an emerging one at the the U.S. border, Axios is also reporting this week that President Biden has put Vice President Kamala Harris in charge of addressing the migrant surge at the U.S.-Mexico border, senior administration officials announced on Wednesday. Harris will lead efforts with Mexico and the Northern Triangle of countries, uh, those consist of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, to manage the flow of unaccompanied children and migrant families arriving at the border in numbers not seen since a surge in 2019. Quote, starting today, the Northern Triangle nations and Mexico will know that there was one senior official dedicated to this effort. To be very clear, this is an important task, a senior administration official told reporters during a conference call. And look, there are a number of proposals that are um, uh, moving around Washington right now. A couple of congressional Democrats from Texas are even suggesting uh, that the Biden administration not take older child migrants, like 16, 17-year-olds, which apparently a strong proportion of the individuals crossing the border right now fall into that age demographic. Uh, There are concerns uh, about individuals crossing the border with COVID. And so, I I mean, this is is a a big uh, issue. It's not tied to one political party or one administration it's uh but it is uh, just a, an offshoot of the fact that our our immigration system uh needs reform and that is something that that Southern Baptists uh have spoken to time and again through various resolutions 
uh, at our annual meetings. And um, needless to say, the administration has its handful uh, with this issue. Brent, this is such a challenging issue. And as we talked about the last few weeks, it's just horrible to think about living in a place where you are so frightened, where you are so um, bad off, where you want so badly to have a better future, especially for your children, that you would let them go to the border uh, by themselves unaccompanied. And I I just can't imagine the heartbreak of that for a parent and the, the scariness of that for a child. And I saw a little bit on the news today, uh, they were showing some teenage boys in the facility that they were staying in. And while this facility looked nice, they looked like they were being well taken care of. It still um, just pulled on my heartstrings once again, thinking about the very difficult decisions that need to be made and the the difficult process that it is to come up with a solution. And as Southern Baptists, um, immigration policies, we need good immigration policies, but we got to have an open heart to immigrants because, because they're made in God's image. So the ways that we can help and serve them, um, we need to be for that. The ways that we can treat them with dignity, uh, we need to be for that. That's a good word, Lindsay. All right. Speaking of uh, COVID, uh, have you gotten your vaccine yet, Josh, Lindsay? Have have either one of you gotten your your first jab, as our, our so English friends like to call it? Right, and and our colleague Jeff Pickering would want us to say that he is uh, <laughs> he has adopted that term as yes. his own. So I have not yet gotten my first dose of the vaccine, but I have scheduled my appointment. So that feels noteworthy. And I'm really excited about it. My wife gets her second round uh, next week. And my parents are both in town uh, this weekend and they have received the first round of the vaccine. And I believe also are scheduled to get their second rounds uh, next week. So a lot of progress in, in the Western family. And there's progress in our family as well. We have our vaccines scheduled but I won't tell you why, because that might steal your thunder, Brent, for this next next story that you're sharing. <laughs> well, no, it, I mean, look, our family owes it to you, Lindsay, for alerting our whole team that now in Tennessee, uh, it is available. So earlier this week, and this has a tie nationally, earlier this week in Nashville News 2, uh, WKRN-TV here, uh, they reported that Governor Lee, Tennessee's governor, announced that every Tennessean 16 and up will be eligible to receive the vaccine no later than April 5th. A few Tennessee counties will start that process in the coming in the coming days, said Governor Lee. He went on to say that the federal government has asked states to make sure that every adult can receive access by May 1st. Tennessee will beat the deadline. Well, unbeknownst to all of us, that deadline would occur on Wednesday of this week when uh, the state opened it up uh, to everyone age 16 and up. And so, Lindsay, you flagged that for us, and we're just thankful that, at least in our family, uh, we've gotten our first uh, couple of appointments scheduled. And so I raised that to say uh, this this vaccine, if you're listening, it it is coming to your area, and that is Certainly good news uh, because all of us have been praying uh, for a, a solution uh, to this pandemic and uh, a way out of uh, the the isolation and the work from home status that, that many of us find ourselves in. And the great news is, is that it is here and it is here in record time. You know, Brent, now I'm, I like to think that I, you owe your life to me 
So <laughs> just whatever favors you can do for me whenever I need them, I would greatly appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thrilled to see people getting back to living their lives. And it's exciting to me that maybe within just a few months, we'll be at a place where lockdowns and quarantine and social distancing, those things can be a thing of the past. That is what I'm clinging to right now. Listen, I'm optimistic and I'm very thankful, but you know, you look at Europe and they've had to try to lock down again. So you do have to be careful because I don't want that to happen. Yeah. I was, I was actually going to mention that. So oh. this week we saw, we saw, well, we saw Germany, uh, put in place, uh, under Chancellor Merkel, um, a, a plan to do a lockdown through Easter. So over the, what, next week and a half. Uh, but then they quickly rescinded that. And, I mean, y'all, this is just incredible. The Europe is having major issues with distributing the vaccine. And um, while every day here in America, millions upon millions more are getting the vaccine. And, and so in some ways, I feel like we're, we're almost kind of in a race because Europe is having some of those issues with the distribution of the vaccine. They are starting to see higher and higher caseloads of uh, COVID over there, that probably will head our way. And if we've got a population that is still kind of, you know, uh, overall hesitating, uh, to get the vaccine that, that could be in our future again. And, um, I'm just, I'm just thankful that, uh, our, our family is, is going to move forward getting the vaccine and, um, and, and hopefully, uh, if there are any sorts of, uh, new variants out there, um, the, the vaccines will be very effective uh, against those. And, and so, yeah. Well, we want to talk about donuts because Krispy Kreme announced this week uh, a little treat for those of you with a, a sweet tooth. So Fortune Magazine said the chain says it will offer a free original glazed donut to anyone who shows their vaccination card for the rest of 2021 beginning this week. And the offer is not a one-time deal. That's right. You can go back every single day, show your card, and you will get a free donut. Tip uh, for those of you who may not know, might be first-time visitors to Krispy Kreme, because it is worth it to go on in and get your free donut, go when the uh, the hot and uh, fresh sign is is lit up. Yeah, hot now. Hot now. In fact, sorry. In my house, we, we call those donuts hot nows. I cracked up on Twitter because... Uh, there was this doctor who responded to Krispy Kreme's announcement. Did y'all see this? And she was oh, basically it was Lena, saying, it was Lena as a, yes, I can't, I can't promote this. I think it's good to be promoting the vaccine, but how about you offer one a month? Or she said some other things. And as, our a, former as a public colleague, health expert, listen, okay, so if we want to be all pro uh, safety on the coronavirus side, I can live with that. What I can't live with is trying to keep people from donuts that are free and excellent. Right. Okay, so let's just say After, this. Eat your donut, <laughs> yes. go get it, get your shot, go get your donuts. And just, man, this is the kind of like American ingenuity that I'm here for. And if you need to walk 10 or 15 minutes extra day uh, to deal with your donut, great. But you just enjoy it. I would encourage other organizations to follow Krispy Kreme's lead. So I'm trying I to get would, a free chicken sandwich every time I exactly you know, show free my chicken sandwich from Chick Fil A. I want a free Coca Cola delivered to my house. Uh, I'll take a free uh, Sonic drink. There you go. I mean, let's let's make this happen, corporate America. Yes, our our colleague, our former colleague Dan Darling. He responded and said, well, these people must be fun at parties. <laughs> so <laughs> cracked up. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, after a year of lockdown, go eat your donuts. 
Wholeheartedly agree. All right. To more serious news on the international front, uh, Reuters is reporting this. The United States, the European Union, Britain, and Canada imposed sanctions on Chinese officials on Monday for human rights abuses in Xinjiang, the first such coordinated Western action against Beijing under new U.S. President Joe Biden. Beijing immediately hit back with punitive measures against the EU that appeared broader, including European lawmakers, diplomats, institutes, and families, and banning their businesses from from trading with China. Western governments are seeking to hold Beijing accountable for mass detentions of Muslim Uyghurs in northwestern China, where the U.S. says China is committing genocide. So this is something important for our work uh, at the RLC. We have been calling attention, as well as many other uh, organizations that, that care about human dignity, but calling attention to the absolute atrocity uh, that is occurring at the hands uh, of the Chinese government against Uyghurs and other religious minorities uh, within China. This is perfect, Brent. We've been talking on the podcast and our organization has been working uh, for more than a year to uh, encourage both the United States government and the international community to bring their collective power to bear against uh, this oppression by the Chinese Communist Party. It feels incredibly important to say at this point that when we are talking about these abuses taking place in China, we're not opposing Chinese people. We're not opposing Asian people. We're talking about the Chinese Communist Party that rules over China, which is by population the largest country in the world with an iron fist. And in part of what part of that tyranny is their oppression of this religious group known as the Uyghur Muslims. And so if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've heard us talk about it a lot. If you haven't, there there are reports that there are more than a, one million Muslims uh, that have been placed into basically internment camps by the CCP, that they are basically being reprogrammed so that they can live and think and act like proper Chinese citizens, whatever that means to the Chinese Communist Party. This is the, uh, it's some of the worst oppression happening anywhere in the world. And so this is a really, really positive step to see not just the United States government, but the European Union and the UK uh, use their collective muscle to stand up to China. We also have an article that will be coming out probably next week by our policy staff that gives a rundown of some of these measures, punitive measures that have been taken. All right, turning back stateside, there was a significant development this week uh, in Utah in efforts to combat the spread of pornography. So WAFF-TV is reporting that Utah is a step closer to requiring all cell phones and tablets sold in the conservative state to automatically block pornography after the Republican governor signed legislation Tuesday that critics call a significant intrusion of free speech. Governor Spencer Cox said the measure would send, quote, an important message about preventing children from accessing explicit online content. The proposal is the latest move in Utah's legislative campaign to curb the availability of porn. So the measure won't actually go into effect unless five other states enact similar laws, a provision that was added to address concerns that it would be difficult to implement. So that's, you know, I, I worked uh, in the legislature here in Tennessee, and that's a really unique provision to basically say, so, hey, this is passed. It is currently on hold until five other states 
uh, past this as well, almost creating, in a sense, like a compact, uh, which is something that happens uh, more regularly. But still, this is – I like when uh, legislators, whether at the federal level or the state level, uh, think kind of constructively uh, about measures to really combat the spread of, of things that are really harmful to society, like pornography. There, there probably are some uh, legitimate First Amendment concerns here um, that uh, that will need to be addressed, but this is this is something that's really interesting that's moved through the legislature uh, in Utah. Yeah, this is another one of those things that I love because look, I care deeply, deeply about civil liberties. I think the Bill of Rights is a fundamental bedrock in our uh, free society that that we enjoy and live in together. Having said that, I don't think that the freedom of speech or the freedom of expression uh, means that everything is on the table. And when it comes to pornography, I, I think that's one of those things that we can draw us outside of the lines. And so as Christians, uh, we, we should support uh, legislation like this. And this is the kind of thing that should be really deeply encouraging to us because we, we don't want to have uh, we don't want to have a society or live in a culture where pornography is normalized and people have open access to it. I do not understand how facing just some of the realities we've looked at in the last several weeks, we can, as a culture, not see that the hypersexualization of our society is such a bad thing, that it is detrimental to us as a people. Uh, as Christians, we don't want to denigrate the concept of human sexuality, but we do want to say that that kind of immoral display of things like pornography existing in our culture and just being open and available for anyone and, and everyone. Uh, as Christians, that's something we can stand against because it corrupts uh, and degrades. It, it speaks against the image of God that all people bear, uh, and, and it makes our world and society worse. And I would just point out, uh, you know, there, there might be uh, critics uh, who hear us talking about this. You know, they're saying, oh, no, we need to just have you know, unfettered access to to all this like we have in, in maybe some other states. Well, look, this is where the concept of federalism comes in. Uh, different states are allowed to uh, control what goes on with their borders, and it doesn't necessarily have to match up with what goes on uh, in other states. And so uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm really thankful that this uh, little experiment in federalism is occurring Again, I'm just I'm affirming of the fact that people are leaders are trying to think constructively to to stop the the scourge of something like pornography. So I I just want to give a little shout out for the weekly an email that we send you every Friday that has uh, a lead article there, some news article links. It has a rundown of some of the important articles happening at ERLC.com, has a section from DC and our policy staff, and also highlights some of our podcasts. The lead article in the weekly today is on this very thing that we're talking about. So uh, it will do a good job breaking it down for you. We'll basically put this conversation all in one place. So you can have it there for quick access. And if you want to sign up for the weekly, all you have to do is go to our, our website and our homepage and enter your email there. Good. It's always good to give a shout out to the weekly. All right. So finally, speaking of uh, states like California, there was a significant development this week coming from California for the royal family. Good Morning America reports that Prince Harry 
The Duke of Sussex has landed a new job title as he and his wife, Duchess Meghan Markle, continue to build their portfolios one year after stepping down as senior members of Britain's royal family. Harry, 36, is now the chief impact officer for BetterUp, a Silicon Valley startup focused on coaching and mental health. I want to know exactly how Josh feels for this. I have two questions, and not to make light of this, but uh, is Prince Harry, is he an expert in mental health? And and so, like, is this uh, is this something that's, like, up his alley? I, I really don't know. And then number two, Josh, I got to know, given that you are the chief officer when it comes to um, your your mantra of uh, – like something like nine times out of 10, when somebody says impact, they mean effect. They mean affect. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Does, does this fall into, uh, into, into that grid? So Brent, I'm glad you brought that up. So even this morning, one of our colleagues sent me a text and said, is this effect or affect? And sent me a sentence and whatever. Actually, it was, it was really interesting uh, because this happened to me. I was uh, radicalized just by watching a show with a person that has an obsession about effect versus affect. And the truth is that no one ever knows what to do. So they just reach for impact and they go, well, that'll work. But when you want to say impact, you mean affect. In this case, chief impact officer, it just, it just leaves me positively flummoxed. What does that even mean? And does it leave, does it leave an indelible mark on you? An impact zone, if you will. Let me just say, that one of my favorite things in professional and adult life is discovering that sometimes people have titles that tell you exactly what their job is. Other times when you want to signal that somebody's job is important, but their job is kind of nebulous because they're important just because they're associated with your staff, you will give them a title that doesn't really say anything. Chief impact officer would certainly fall into that latter category. But best of luck to Prince Harry in his new role. Absolutely. You're going to get him. some hate mail from all the royal lovers. <laughs> Probably you from our staff. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, uh, we do wish him the best of luck. And obviously, if uh, if he can help people um, in terms of um, achieving better mental health or just raising awareness about uh, mental health, that is is certainly going to be a good deed that that will benefit a number of folks. So we are we are thankful for that and we wish him the best of luck. All right, Lindsay, Josh, that's your look at this week in culture. So now it's time for the lunchroom where every week we tell you about the things we've been talking about with one another. Uh, this week we skipped our interview because we were just, you know, excited to have Brent back and anticipating he might have quite a lot to say. He did not disappoint and that was really awesome. So now uh, to tell us what's going on in the lunchroom and maybe to drop in an Easter egg right here. Lindsay, what are you bringing to the table? Well, before I drop in the Easter egg, on a serious note, I wanted to ask everyone to pray for our colleague Jason and his wife, Dory. As many of you know, she is battling cancer, her second round, and uh, she's going through the most intense part of her treatment right now. She's actually had to uh, be checked into the hospital because she's battling an infection. So they've just asked that we pray that her numbers, her counts would go up and her fever would come down and that the that infection would go away quickly so that she could come back home. So please be praying for them and their family and their two small kids and Dory's mom is at home taking care of them. 
And then for on a less serious note for the Easter egg is while Brent was gone, I actually took up watching The West Wing while um, I'm tending to the baby. And I've seen it before, but I didn't really pay attention. And maybe I'm not paying attention now, but I have actually kind of enjoyed it. Season one, I actually liked, surprisingly enough. Uh, Season three, I've gotten a little bored with, if I have to be honest. Some of the episodes have been good. Others mm, have kind of bored me. Season two, I, I liked. So how do you feel about that, Brent? Well, I am just glad that uh, you have joined us in appreciating the greatness that is the the West Wing. And I would just encourage you to to just slowly digest it because season three is actually excellent. And um, yeah, so I'm just I'm glad you're on the side of us and uh, not on the side of uh, you know the internet people that have gone crazy. Well, I'm not saying it's my favorite show ever, but I am enjoying it. Season three, yeah, exactly. Megan says this confirms Brent did not listen to the podcast while he was gone. And Brent, your your response was just lamo. If we were in the lunchroom, I I would have hoped you would have had a lot more excitement. If we were actually in the lunchroom, I actually don't think you appreciate my uh, my response as much as I know Josh did. Did you say what's next? No, he dropped in another one. Oh, what he dropped was in it? Another one. The internet people have gone crazy, which is from the episode oh, where is that Lemon Lyman? That's Lemon Lyman. Yes, I did okay, like I'm that. Very episode, proud. Actually, I'm very proud of you for for hanging on there. That's very awesome. Yeah, and actually, I am I, proud that you you just named the episode right off the top of your head. That's fantastic. Yep, I uh, some of the episodes I can't pronounce the name of them, but um, I like, did enjoy Lemon Lyman. Yes, there you go. <laughs> I I did enjoy that. So anyway, there you go. There's my confession. Man. Well, thanks, Usher. We're going to go ahead and uh, move into the next section, which is, I'll just go next. Um, So two of our former colleagues have, yes, Usher, my confessions. Oh my word. That's hilarious. So for for all the millennials in the, in the audience, there you go. That was a quick reference to Usher. So two of our former colleagues have, um, books that are either forthcoming or have just come out. And I just wanted to plug both of those for you. The thing that got this on my mind is that uh, Andrew Walker has an article today uh, at TGC called Embattled on All Sides, Does Religious Liberty Have a Future? And in that article, he is talking about the current state of religious liberty. And he wrote this because he honestly is just about to publish a book uh, titled Liberty for All, Defending Everyone's Religious Freedom in a Pluralistic Age. And that book comes out at the beginning of May. And so you can pre-order it now. I'm sure he would appreciate it. But when it comes to religious liberty, which is central to the work that we do, I've learned so much from Andrew. His voice is so important. And so I would just point you at both of these resources, both his book and this TGC article, where you can learn a little bit more about that. And because we are coming up on Easter, Our former colleague, Dan Darling, has a book called The Characters of Easter, which is modeled after his previous book, The Characters of Christmas. It is a really helpful book uh, that, honestly, I think you would just really benefit from as we're marching toward the celebration of Easter as Christians, which for us is the, you know, the highlight of the calendar, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, which we do every week, but we do in a special way on Easter Sunday. So those resources are out there for you. I'd love for you to check them out. I know know Dan and Andrew would really, really appreciate you uh, buying their books and spreading the word. And so I just wanted to give a plug for them for my lunchroom this week. Josh, you're absolutely right. Uh, I love it when uh, our our two former colleagues uh, put down their thoughts and share them with uh, the rest of us uh, with their resources. And obviously Dan's 
is the follow-up to his wildly successful Characters of Christmas, uh, which you can also order. But I love that he is going through different parts of uh, of Scripture and pulling out uh, the, the great individuals that make up those stories. So, all right. So my thing that I'm bringing to the lunchroom for this week is while I was gone, uh, I had the opportunity uh, to go watch uh, my Atlanta Braves uh, play a spring training game. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I, I realize, A, not everybody has the ability to to take a, a spring break trip like our family did. Uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful that I got a little bit of time away. And I also realize that because spring training is only happening in two places, right, Florida and Arizona, not everybody can get to them. But if you can, if you're a, a just even a casual fan of baseball, it is such a great experience because it's it's just it's a lot less formal uh, than a regular season game, and so you can just kind of get up close and see the players up close. And so uh, I just brought a standing room only ticket uh, to go watch the Braves and just walked around the ballpark. And it was it was good to see people like real live people back in a stadium as fans. And uh, and it was good to see live baseball uh, being played in person. And so that was just really rejuvenating for me. I, I got to tell you, I kind of felt just like a 10-year-old boy again, just walking around the ballpark and watching ballplayers smash base hits and home runs. That was that was good. But did you get a legitimate dude sighting is the real question. Very obscure West Wing reference there. But it was about spring training in Mike Piazza, so I thought maybe you would follow it. Oh, the Mike Piazza. Yes. Yes. No, no, I missed that one. I missed that one. I'm so glad that you missed that. I feel totally justified. Oh, hush. So, yeah. So, look, guys, this was a fun episode to do. If if you take nothing else away from it, it is that the ERLC podcast still endorses the West Wing and thinks that you should watch it. Lindsay, we're proud to see that you have joined the bandwagon. Brent, I'm even... You know, more proud to see that you have not wavered in your uh, fandom and that you are, you know, spring training thing. What, a, what an excellent tie in there. So it's good to have you back. Uh, that's going to do it for us at the show today. We just want to say thanks so much for listening and for hanging with us every single week. It's a privilege to do this podcast every week. And if you like the show and want to help us spread the word so that other people can discover it, would you consider sharing this episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review? But for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we just want to say thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to being back next week with more content.